Hello, and thank you for joining me and my colleague, Stephanie Davis, as we sort through the lessons that we've learned over the past year and a half as EPS has moved from a traditional brick-and-mortar office to our employees working remotely from their respective homes. I'm Lisa Dishman, and I have been with EPS in a wide variety of roles for more than 16 years. During that time, I've worked primarily from the traditional office space that EPS maintained, and I only occasionally worked either from home or from the road when I traveled on a quarterly basis. My partner in this discussion today is Stephanie Davis, EPS president, 100 miles or so away in a variety of roles, and she now leads our entire organization from her home base. Stephanie and I have, in the last month, both written articles on the subject of working remotely, mine on making the remote experience a positive one from an employer's perspective, and Stephanie's on the lessons she's learned in managing a remote team. We'll link to both those articles and this podcast on our website. Stephanie, it's great to have you here to talk with me about this topic as many employers are considering foregoing brick-and-mortar offices or currently have all or part of their teams working remotely. So thank you so much for being here. Let's start with the decision that we made to relinquish the brick-and-mortar offices that EPS occupied for years and move to remote offices. What drove you to even consider that move? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, I came into the position after being a consultant for over a decade with EPS and operating sort of all over the place um, without a central office space. I came in, into this position as a, rem a remote manager. So I think at some point it just seemed sort of the um, obvious and natural thing to do, all, you know, based on my own experience. All, in addition to all of our consultants' experiences who, you know, our consultants are scattered around the country. So I feel like we've had a lot of practice maintaining a connection remotely. And the staff had been making noises about wanting to work from home themselves. So the benefits were obvious for them. It was obvious to us as an organization that everybody could benefit and could, you know, could make it work. The money alone is pretty persuasive, so perhaps we should pause to discuss that for a moment. Your article really dove into the cost savings. How about if you briefly sketch what that looks like? Sure. I think when I wrote my article, as I was starting to do some research about the rationale that we and other employers might use when they're thinking, contemplating this sort of move, I was surprised. Um, I looked specifically at Global Workplace Analytics. They have done a good deal of work about the economic advantages of remote offices. And according to their research, typical business saves about $11,000 per employee per year. And the employee themselves, the telecommuter, saves between $2,000 and $7,000 a year. So it's really easy to see why employers from an economic standpoint consider this type of arrangement. We're going to dig into some of the other more intrinsic benefits, but Global Workplace Analytics said that there appear to be other benefits, including productivity, efficiency, higher morale, less stress, and greater employee engagement. So that was a few of the things that my research turned up when I was writing my article. So 
so not only were the savings there, but I think we were all just really excited to make this change in that it seemed so forward thinking and timely. And you mentioned all of these unquantifiable benefits. So I think there was this, this sense that we were, you know, we were doing, we were, we were moving toward the future and it was exciting. Don't you think? Totally. Um, just in talking with each other amongst ourselves as we were thinking about this, you know, and I think in general, the prospect of getting rid of the commute, you know, our offices are in the Dallas uh, Fort Worth Metroplex. So some of us have very onerous commutes. The prospect of when you wake up in the morning, not getting necessarily dressed up, but sliding into your yoga pants, those wardrobe, the convenience of that and the wardrobe savings. Those are big. You know, I think the other thing that for all of us, whether you work from home now or um, have a conventional office, balance is increasingly important, I think, in all of our lives. The ability to have a quick dog walk on a lunch break or, I say, 30 minutes of weeding in your yard or garden to clear your head or just the ability to throw a load of laundry in. Not to mention being at home, whether you're a mom or a dad, when your kids get off the bus. Those are really some small and some really large benefits from working from home that we all look forward to. And I think that we have come to enjoy and to an extent maybe even take for granted uh, 18 months into our experiment. So, Steph, as a team, we were excited, um, but did you, as a manager, have any trepidation about not having us all under one roof? You were certainly accustomed to working remotely, but there had to be some comfort that came with knowing that when you dialed the office, and I'm using air quotes, that we were all there and able to communicate with each other. What was your biggest concern as we contemplated this move? Well, I really didn't have the typical concerns a manager might have about, you know, is this person working even though I can't see them? And, and I think that's really based on my experience. Um, I know I'm not personally working every second, and I wouldn't expect anyone to be wherever they office. And that's the great thing for many of us about working from home. As you mentioned, we can, we can take the, that dog walk or do some yoga or whatever it is we want to do so long as we're making sure that we get our work done. I think I was a little nervous that some of our staff who thought they wanted to work from home might might not actually thrive in that realm. I know from working remotely myself for a long time that it can be really tough. You really need to be a certain kind of person for it to come naturally to be productive. You need to be able to create and hold on to boundaries. And there are there are simply idle, an endless array of distractions. You know, there's the fact that you know, whether or not you're a parent, but probably especially when you're a parent or or have a spouse or a partner or people in and out of your life frequently, there's the fact that no one really fully appreciates that you're actually working when when you're when you're in your home office. So there are endless additional requests and demands on your time that you simply would not have or would not be an option if you were at an office. You know, can you run my forgotten homework to school? While you're there, you know, could you whip up some dinner? Can you entertain the whatever it is? It, it seems that people don't have the same qualms um, about asking for your time that they they simply wouldn't be able to if you weren't there. 
I did think about, and I still do, as, as you know, how we can stay connected. It, you know, it's a constant issue that I don't want to forget to pay attention to. And I think, you know, we should probably talk more about that and, and how, how we've been trying to accomplish that. The practical pieces of moving from a brick-and-mortar office to remote, there were a lot of adjustments, certainly those um, sort of interpersonal and how we communicate with each other. But we also had some technology changes that we needed to implement on our way to getting there. Can you just quickly summarize those, Stephanie, that we made? They weren't insignificant and affected how we communicated with each other. And they were a long time um, in the analysis and the implementation. We needed to research and implement a new phone system. We moved all of our data to the cloud. And honestly, that was all handled by, by, by the staff. And I was pretty much spoon-fed and relatively unaffected by all of these changes. I think you were actually more involved than me in terms of the nitty-gritty and probably more than anybody. It was the other members of our staff who really shouldered most of that work. Um, but I, I believe that that was at the same time when you were moving from the corporate office to your remote location. So, you know, that, that coincided. Um, what did your experience look like in terms of the transition uh, to new technology? I think that's true. I think that as a staff, we had a number, most of us were involved in one way or another in sorting out the appropriate technologies that we all needed to adopt as we were making this change. And in some ways, the, remove, the move to, to remote offices sort of prompted us to make some of the technology changes that we, that we were on track to make anyway. So a lot of the technology these days you know, helps you in terms of remote. Moving our data to the cloud, it was a fairly big deal. We had an on-site server when we moved it to the cloud. It became easier for everyone to access and even more secure. Um, and our phone system was ready to be upgraded, and the upgrades allow us to be connected. It's really as if we are in the office. So I think those two big technology changes were extremely helpful and, and timely in terms of making the move to the remote offices. Prepping the technological aspects of a remote location from a corporate standpoint is one thing. From an employee standpoint, it can be another. So my hope in my article was to really detail that. So speaking from my personal experience, I actually moved slightly across the country but that also meant I needed to create some kind of dedicated, distraction-free workspace, which, as you mentioned, when you have kids and dogs and partners and neighbors, um, having a space that you can actually focus on your work is really important. I was fortunate to have an extra bedroom that I could have a desk, create a home office that's dedicated that I can close the door. And for me personally, that's really important. Everyone doesn't have that luxury, but my article does give some tips of how to do that if you have more limited space. But as you mentioned, it's really about boundaries. I think the other thing that was important for me in making this change is really 
using the technology to communicate with my colleagues. It's very different um, when you can't see your colleague across the way, across the cubicle, or if their door is open or closed. So really digging in to utilize Instant Messenger and Skype. We've all used email and everyone uses that for routine communications, but the ability to quickly ask that question or to check in to see if it's an appropriate time. Do you have a second to give me your attention? Those are skills and strengths that I felt I really had to hone. I think the other thing too is Skype and physically seeing your colleagues when you have the opportunity to do that. I do a once a month accounting call with um, my colleague who does the EPS accounting, and those calls are very business-like, and we know we have a checklist of things that we need to get through, but it also can be to pick up your computer and walk through your home to see your latest home project or to check in personally. And it's really not that different than having someone physically face-to-face -face because you're face-to-face -face via Skype. So I think those things take a little bit of time and a little bit of skill to develop, but those were things that I knew that I needed to do and most employees need to do to really make that transition to remote successful. Well, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you personally? Well, one of the things I pointed out in my article was creating a schedule, and that piece is really important, and it certainly it varies a lot across particular job functions. Some employees need to be in their office from uh, on a typical work day, let's say from, from 9 to 5 or 8 to 4.30 or whatever the hours are. They need to be there from an operational standpoint consistently during that day. I don't have that type of structure. My job is super flexible, and the work that I do really could be done at 2 in the morning or at 9 in the morning. Um, certainly, figuring out as I moved remotely when I needed to be available and responsive to my colleagues was important to me. Figuring out where I functioned best, whether it's for four hours early in the morning and maybe picking something back up late in the evening, some of the work is creative. So the ability to schedule those chunks of time and also be flexible and adaptable to what's going on with your colleagues um, is a challenge. Um, I think the thing about working from home is, uh, I mentioned in the article, there's sort of this bleed from work to your personal life, your personal life into work. So no one wants to feel like they're working all the time. That's why having a dedicated office space, it may be a luxury, but it's really nice to be able to close the door and sort of physically have that barrier. So for me, I think it's a process. And I would say for most employees that are working remotely, you have a bit of flexibility in their schedule. It is a process to sort of figure out what works with you, balance your home life and your work life, especially in your ability to be responsive to whether it's clients internally or externally, that is a process. And frankly, 18 months later, I'm still honing that and giving myself some permission to try new things, to try different hours, but to still make certain that I'm available when my colleagues need me. So Seth, let me turn this around to your experience in managing a remote team. Your article touched on a number of things that employers really need to be aware of when they're managing remotely. 
what stands out for you and what's been your biggest challenge as the team moved from a brick and mortar office in their home offices from around the country? I think that trust is probably going to be be the biggest challenge for for many managers um, because it's just such a different way of approaching the work experience experience. But actually for me, it really hasn't been. I'm I'm I guess I'm lucky because I work with really trustworthy solid people. So it really has not been a stumbling block for me, but I I expect that it will be for many managers. Harder for me is making sure to, just because of the kind of person I am and and the way that I tend to get immersed into big projects that I dive into and sort of, you know, I would have the natural inclination to go dark uh, while I work on on a big project. So harder for me is making sure to, to come up for air and remember to connect regularly with the people on my team. So I guess I would say that in the engagement piece is something I need to make a concerted effort to devote my attention to regularly. You know, you touched on trust, and I know that is a big one for many, many managers. And when I read your article, you know, one of the ways, and tell me if I'm wrong, that some managers are comfortable with that, some managers are not, but one way to perhaps mitigate that is to shift and adapt the way you evaluate the workforce. You know, trust might translate into actually visually seeing someone at their desk working, so the trust sort of falls away. But when they're not, I think you did a great job in pointing out how you might adapt and be flexible. So tell me a little bit about how your evaluation of your team has shifted with us working remotely. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it has. I mean, I I've been with EPS for for 20 years and I I've learned so much from that experience. I was at first a consultant. And as a consultant, you're often on your own and expected to just do your do- your job, get it done without a ton of oversight. And then when I arrived at this position, the way I have personally been managed taught me a ton about trust and what's important. I report to a board, as you know, and from day one, I have felt that what matters is what I deliver rather than how I get there. So I really have to give credit to the board for recognizing and being open to that, the, the, the concept that there are many ways to do a job. So, you know, I think I was, I was somewhat primed by the example that Pamela and Lori made, and I was much more open to trusting everybody to do their job out of sight than I otherwise naturally would have been if I worked in a traditional office setting all of these years. You know, it's really been almost a mantra that has been drilled into me by Pamela and Lori, our founders, that what really matters in the end is our ability to serve our clients. And from the feedback that I've received, our transition has has been seamless, really, in terms of continuing to do that without disruption. So what has this team done together to make it work? I echo your sentiment completely. And you mentioned Pamela Hutchins and Lori Jones are our founders and they're co-board members with me. And I think, like you, having been with this organization almost 20 years, I think it's been a strong cultural base for us, which is... I trust that you're going to do your job really, really well. If you need my input, uh, I'm here. Or if you want to just reality check something, um, but I know the outcome is going to be solid. So I think that culture is really pervasive and it's helped us 
in this particular move. You know, our ability to service our clients was our biggest driving factor in our team structure. It always has been. And in making this change seamless, we had zero disruption during this transition. And that's the biggest trust factor of all. Um, It's been a resounding success based on client feedback. Again, it goes back to culture and that culture of trustworthiness. We've always made responsiveness an extremely high priority as an organization. And none of that changes when you work remotely. I think if anything, it's heightened those expectations is I think we take extra steps to communicate and to make certain that we've responded to a client, whether it's an internal one or an external one, and that this continued focus on meeting that objective makes us even more inclined as a team to backstop each other and go the extra mile in communicating with each other and making certain that the needs of our clients are met. Steph, working remotely isn't for everyone, whether you're a manager or an employee. And we've mentioned that some people can feel isolated and really miss the day-to-day interaction with their coworkers. You know, some managers want that visual reinforcement of seeing their team at their desks. And I know there are ways to mitigate some of these issues, and some are easier to address than others. So tell me a little bit of what you and we as an organization have done so that perhaps our listeners can learn from some of the things that we've done to reinforce those communication issues and to to minimize maybe some of that isolation that teams can feel when they're working in various parts of the country. That's going to be a struggle in any virtual um, organization because, you know, even though we really make an effort to connect in, in assorted ways, which I'll get to, you know, there's simply not, there's not the same opportunity or ability to have those impromptu connections in the same way. You know, you can't pop your head into somebody's office and say, let's go grab lunch. It's just, it's not going to be able to happen. But you know, we're learning and growing, and I think we all understand that, that it's a process. We're only 18 months in here, and we've established – I think we, we all realize that we have to establish a structure of connection. It's, it can't be – it has to be somewhat contrived um, in order to work, so we have to have those regularly scheduled meetings, um, and there has to be sort of a multimedia approach. There have to be – not just written communications, which we all, well, people like me can fall into a groove on because that's my comfort zone. Um, we have to have lots of live meetings and Skype connections and phone calls. We have to have an assortment of structured connections in order to maintain that engagement. And I think, you know, I think we're open to what else might work. And also the fact that each person is different and each person has different needs that we need to honor and respect. Steph, you mentioned that we do monthly staff meetings. We either typically do those via a teleconference and we actually have Skype to to do meetings too. Are there other things for the benefit of our listeners that, that you have implemented or things that we do do that are slightly contrived but still get us to those connection points? We have our annual consultants meeting, which is a, a time when we all gather from all over the country in one central place for a few days of continuing legal education, different functions, um, client meetings, and, and, and fun. 
uh, and that's usually over a three-day period. We also have regional meetings semi-annually where it's on a smaller scale, but we also regionally connect live. We, we have team meetings when a group of our consultants are going to be teaming up on a particular project for a, um, a specific client. We will meet to share information and make a strategic plan. Those, those forms of meeting keep us connected as well. Steph, you've mentioned uh, several of the things that our organization does. One of the things that's really important to me from a corporate team standpoint is our quarterly staff meetings. And tell us a little bit about, for our listeners, what we hope to accomplish and what your goals are in actually physically getting together um, each quarter as a team. Um, originally, when I was managing the team from afar and we had that brick-and-mortar office space, I would go down a, a few times a year for these meetings, and we would basically focus on the same things, but we would do it um, with our office as a meeting spot. And the idea was to combine, you know, focusing on strategic projects with socializing. We, so we would always have some enjoyable activities as well. Since we've gone remote, we've met in various spots, including most recently in Washington, D.C., which was sort of central for all of us. And we basically did the same thing, but from, from a hotel. And we spent a couple days visiting with each other as well as focusing on projects that we really wanted to hash out face-to-face. -face. I have found those particularly helpful, not only in the ability to just relax and have fun with people once a quarter, somehow it heightens the specialness of those interactions. But I think when we're working on larger strategic projects, just for example, we are developing a new website right now, to be able to dig in and brainstorm face-to-face -face and work on those bigger strategic objectives, those meetings have been really helpful. And for any team that works remotely, I think having a stake in the ground of sometimes coming together, whether it's once a quarter, whether it's once a year, those interactions are really, really important. I think probably it sounds like from your standpoint, Stephanie, and certainly from my standpoint as a, as a colleague. So bottom line, Stephanie, let's kind of close out our discussion. We've been at this from a remote standpoint for about 18 months. As you look back on it, would you make the same decision? It sounds like you would. <laughs> oh yeah, no question. Um, I would I would make the same decision again in a heartbeat. I, I I wouldn't have made it sooner. I think it was a timely decision and it was a thoughtful and well planned decision, um, which we all had a hand in. And because we were thoughtful and methodical about it, it rolled out seamlessly. I absolutely would make this the the same decision again. And I actually feel, you know, we're all working smarter and are more tight-knit as a team than we ever have been. Thank you, Stephanie, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. You can read both of our articles on the subject, learn more about EPS services at our website, epspros.com, that's E-P-S-P-R-O-S.com, and you can listen to this podcast, subscribe, and share it with others on both SoundCloud and in iTunes. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. 
We'd love to hear your feedback and better understand the employment practices challenges you face as an HR or employment law professional, and we hope you'll join us on upcoming podcasts. Thanks again.